And welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Rachel Murray. Now, Rachel was the lead singer of the all-girl group, the Rebel Pebbles, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Thank the Bengals, Go-Go's, all the the women in the band played their own instruments. They were really good. Rachel co-wrote their hit single, Dream Lover, which cracked the top 40 in the Billboard charts. They only had the one album on the EP, and that was it. But they toured extensively. They opened up for some amazing bands, including Squeeze, even on the same bill with a very early on, no doubt. They performed in an all-women's prison, and she talks about the famous inmate that helped them with their gear. But like I said, just the one album, the one EP, and then they broke up. Rachel continued in the industry. She's still there as now. Been in some other great bands called Rachel and the Weeds, Blue Meow, her band now, Rachel Murray and the Groove Cats. She's performing soon. And she's also a music, a vocal coach. And she lends her talents to inspiring musicians and singers. It's been a while since I heard about the Rebel Pebbles. And uh, it just came to me a couple weeks ago when I reached out to Rachel. And she was gracious enough to come on. Had a great conversation with her, and I hope you enjoy it as well. So, Rachel, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. Thank you. Yeah. So, like, what was, like, the last, you know, year and a half like for you? I know you're a performer and, you know, going out, and it had to be tough not doing shows. So how did you, like, kind of, like, you know, manage to uh, survive during COVID? Through the whole COVID thing? Yeah. Um, well, I was actually playing in a blues band. I was living uh, near Seattle at the time in Washington State. And I was playing in a blues band and we were in rehearsal phases. So I was able to play and rehearse through most of it. I mean, obviously, the first couple of months, we just nobody went anywhere or did anything. Right. But once everybody got a little more relaxed about it, um, I was able to rehearse. Our band rehearsed outside. And so we had masks, you know, and they tried to make me sing through the mask. I, I, I tried right. it for a minute, but that that really didn't work. So I stood way away <laughs> and I did my singing. So I was able to play and sing um you know so that was kind of nice I wasn't able to really play out and do shows right. um and unfortunately the band fell apart before uh before we got to do shows oh, you know how that bad. goes yeah bands rehearse a little too long and they don't do any shows and then right. you know um <laughs> <laughs> so I did that and I also do um so a lot of social media promotion I decided to uh sit down and study computer code. So I've been okay. learning computer code and learning how to design websites. So I took that time to work on, you know, a lot of creative things. I have a few, quite a few different careers I work in. So I just took that time to sort of work on getting other things yeah. going. Right. I'm just going to come out and ask you, and I don't want you to be offended because it, it always bothered me. Why it wasn't your band and you yourself bigger because you're, you're so extremely talented and the band was great like why like we'll, we'll get into you know the your career and stuff but why wasn't the band and yourself bigger than what you are now well that's a good question i was wondering <laughs> the same thing yeah um you know i think that uh we had some 
we had some internal problems. So there was some of that stuff going on. The band kind of broke up, uh, which wasn't great. Um, but I really think that it mostly had to do with what was happening in the music scene at the time. We were really pop. And right. we were like, our idols were like the B-52s and yeah. the Bengals. We got all dressed up, you know, <laughs> right. we had little bell bottoms and our big earrings, yeah. you know, and we were just all about really fun and show and showmanship. And Nirvana hit, like yeah. grunge came in just as we were starting to break, grunge came in and it killed us we were dead we were just like what do we do now and the bands that stuck to their guns and just got through it those ones lasted for us we tried we lost a band member and so we went through some changes and we tried to sort of change with the times a little we were like well we need to we need to kind of you know get on this sort of grunge thing which was a bad mistake you right. know now um and that was just not us so we tried to make the music a little heavier and and it was not the rebel pebbles thing you know at yeah. all and so it just didn't work you know the band ended up falling apart the record label didn't really like what the direction we were taking it and in the end i can i think it was probably not a, a kind of a mistake for us we should have just stuck to our guns right. and waited out the whole grunge thing, yeah. you know, after about five years, we would have been good, you know, yeah. coming back with the, the pop thing again. Yeah. I mean, so cause I think that's, that's my take on what happened. Right. I mean, cause I'm, I'm one who loves all different genres of music. So, I mean, there's a place for grunge for me, which I loved. There's a place for pop, it's a place for, you know, alternative new wave rap. But I mean, like there, even during that time, there probably was, a, you know, a place for you know the pebbles which unfortunately you know it, it didn't work out because the album actually i saw the cd right here and um you know and it's great because you have the liner notes in here you have the, the lyrics so it's like you know it's rare that you know cds still have that these, yeah. these days yeah so i mean like you you know and it was a fantastic album so it just it's a shame that um record companies are so like nearsighted and they just think you know the most popular thing right now would be grunge, but you can't have any other types of music going at that time. It's unfortunate. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's true. It's it's uh, it was we had we were pretty old school. We right. were kind of the tail end when we were out touring. There were bands playing to a lot of electronic music, and we were really adamant about we are just us, you know, we're yeah. guitar bass. And a lot of people, there were a lot of girl bands coming out that were all girl vocals, you know? So we right. had to like, at, at that time, you know, girl band now, everybody's like, whatever, yeah, you know? Deal, but back right. then it, it was yeah. a big deal. And and um, and I remember going out and doing gigs with some of these bands and they're like, there was one band and they were like, I don't even know if this makes sense, but they were like, they don't even have their dat machine hooked up yet. Like they were like, right. they thought we were going to play all this electronic stuff and we never yeah. did. So we were pretty old school. We actually had an album. I mean, Rebel Pebbles was released on an album, right. which, which was pretty cool. I have yeah. it somewhere around here, <laughs> but um but yeah, we, we were kind of throwbacks to the, to the old school stuff. We really resisted. We had one song on our album, uh, Elephant's Revenge. Right. which had electronic drums on it. 
big controversy in the band when we did that. Yeah. Like, you know, a big, the producer went in with some bad yeah. memories and they programmed the drums and we were all like, oh God, we were all offended. <laughs> that song stood the test of time. time. That one, I can still listen to it. I mean, I, a lot of them did, but that one sounds more modern now. Right. You know, that one sort of fits in. I hear that one on the radio, Elephant's Revenge. I've heard that. A lot of people will play that, I think, because of the electronic yeah. drum, because it it sounds more current. Right. Not yet. It's, it's a fantastic song. And the reason I why, I, yeah. Right. I, I reached out to you is like I had a playlist and shuffle, and one of your songs came up, and I was like, oh, wow. I wonder what, you know, they're doing right now, what Rachel's doing, because, you know, like I guess I haven't heard in, in a while. Well, you know about you guys, but um, and and this you know the song was uh, nowhere crying, which should have been a single because I think that would have been you know a top mm -hmm. you know top ten song, and it's unfortunate that it wasn't a single. How did the, the band come about? How did you guys get together? Well, the band was, I was the last member to, to finalize that, our, our final um, lineup. 
uh, the band had been playing, playing together for a little while. Um, I know Karen and Robin, Karen, the guitar player, and Robin, the bass player, they kind of hooked up, I believe. I hope I'm not wrong about this. Um, they hooked up. They were playing in other bands. Uh, Karen was playing with the Pandoras, or she had played with the Pandoras previously and stuff. And anyway, they kind of hooked up. They had another singer. Um, and, uh, and they had a little bit of success with her. She was more like a Belinda Carlisle type, you know, her style. Right. Um, and then I think they lost her and they just were looking for singers. Mm. I met Karen through an ad in the music connection magazine. I don't know if you were from LA or anything, but that was, that was the way all musicians met each other back in the day. It was a magazine and you could take out a free ad. And, um, and that's what I did actually. I think I had an ad out and I think she had an ad out as well. So, um, you know, they, she called me up with, you know, I listened to the music. I was like, this is fun. You know, (laughs) no more crying is one of the original songs that the band was doing before I even joined the band. We did that song at every single show we ever did. Right. So that, that was like one of our staple songs and it was, it was a great Mm -hmm. song. Um, So, um, so yeah, I met them through an ad and music connection, went down, auditioned, you know, and, uh, then the rest is yeah. history, you right. know. They thought I looked like a little pebbles with my hair up with my red hair right. with big yeah. tails. And... <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So what what type of music were you like playing before you joined the band? I was doing similar stuff, but probably at that time, let's see, it was probably kind of techno-y. Okay. And um, I even had a little bit of a harder edge. Um, you know, probably kind of that, you know, uh, well, I was doing a lot of techno-y stuff with kind of a hard, hard rock feel a little bit to it. Um, a lot of the musicians I was around at that time were playing harder, harder music. So, I mean, but I was, I was sort of rambling around meeting producers who were trying Mm. to get me to sign contracts and sing all their songs. And, you know, back in the day I was. I was sort of letting people guide me around like, oh, look at this opportunity. Yeah. I'll join this band, you know. Now I'm a little more like, no, I'm going to form my own. and I'm going to do right. what I really want. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I was doing. A lot of techno stuff. Were you, were you, I, yeah, because I know you, you know you wrote some of the songs, you know, with the band as well. Were you writing prior to the band? Uh, yes, I was. Oh. I was working in a lot of different projects with different songwriters. Um and trying to, you know, just write songs, do recordings, things like that. Mostly co-writes. Okay. Um, I didn't start writing songs by myself until after the Pebbles because I never played an instrument. I just, I, I taught myself guitar okay. after the Pebbles and right. started doing a little more personal writing, you know. Right. How, um, how collaborative was the writing in the band? Uh, we mostly wrote separately, kind okay. of. Um, we got together a few times. Uh, Robin and I used to write together a lot. We wrote the hit single. We wrote Dream Lover together with another songwriter, um, Ashley. And he's going to kill me because I don't remember his last name right now. <laughs> but uh, he was a good songwriter. Uh, so I would get together a lot with Robin. And sometimes we would get together with an outside songwriter to uh you know just give us 
give us something a little bit different. Karen wrote a lot of songs by herself. Uh, Cheryl, the drummer, she never really wrote yeah. much. Um, but um, yeah, I think most of the songs Karen brought in were, were written by herself because Karen, Karen, she's multi-talented. She wrote, right. you know, she yeah. played all instruments and everything and had a little studio yeah. and everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, because, you know, when you guys, you know, were performing, I mean, like you mentioned, go to those, the Bengals. I mean, there are, you know, bands out there, like all girl bands who play their, you know, instruments as well. But like you mentioned, like the female vocal groups, I guess, probably thinking about Wilson Phillips, right? At, at that time, th that, that came out and, you know. Yeah, they were our big competition at the right. time. One of them, yeah. yeah. Was there any, like, I mean, jealousy? Because they really didn't play their instruments where you guys were a full-fledged band. Was there any, like, jealousy or that your paths crossed at all? I don't remember that we did a show with them because right. we were kind of touring on the same circuit but i don't think we did yeah we were kind of like yeah. they don't even play their instruments you right. know and, <laughs> and um so there was um yeah we were kind of like you know we thought we were like the greatest yeah. you know and we, yeah. we were we, we, we thought we were just so much. So, yeah, there was a little bit of, you know, we're girls. There was a of little course, bit of yeah. cutting <laughs> going on. We also had a little bit of competition going on. Do you remember the band, The Triplets? Yes. Yeah. So we toured with them. We did okay. a few shows with them. And right. there was a little, like, yeah. we hung out with them. But, you know, a little, little competitiveness right. going on there with yeah. the girl bands, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you guys opened up with, like, you know, for a bunch of different great bands, right? Like Squeeze, I think you had it, right? Squeeze, and... oh, I could not wipe the smile off my face yeah. when we opened up for Squeeze. I was so excited. Squeeze right. was one of my favorite bands. And so, yeah, we opened up for Squeeze. We played with No Doubt. Oh, so actually. That was early, and I right? think No Doubt was actually on that show with Squeeze. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, and they went on before us. Wow. So we were kind of, yeah, that's been one of them, always my biggest, like, if only we'd stayed together. Because right. no doubt did. Yeah. They stayed together through all that, although they had a cool little scoffing going and everything. Right, they did, yeah. But yeah, we played with them, we squeeze. Um, who else I'm trying to think? I mean, there were a lot of current bands at the time that we played with Jellyfish. I remember mm, them. Jellyfish, they were yeah. really good. I loved right. them. Yeah. Um, what's his, the Rembrandts. We did some okay. shows with them. Yeah um and Ridgeway, uh, right? i'm sure there's more other yeah. ones that were stan ridgeway we did a yeah. lot of shows with stan ridgeway um and yeah yeah we did it was it was a fan oh dread zeppelin our first okay. tour was with dread zeppelin and okay. that, was, that right. was great yeah <laughs> those guys imagine. were awesome right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i i recently interviewed glenn silbrook from squeeze Oh, you I'm, I'm, I'm a huge you know squeeze fan as well so yeah, yeah. so like was it hard because you know when you're opening up for a band the audience doesn't really come to see you they might never have even heard heard of you so is it difficult to like win them over sometimes yeah it it, it can be i mean yeah. actually there's another band i didn't mention and i'll mention it now because this is pretty this is a funny yeah. story um we played with the special beat Okay. So that was like the specials and the beat combined together. And that was super cool. But, they, right. you know, they were kind of an edgy band. And also so was uh, Dread Zeppelin. So 
we had a lot of we had a couple of shows where people were screaming at us you know sex sells and <laughs> you know they were yeah. really um yeah and we we were just a fun band though we weren't like super took ourselves real seriously right. so we just laughed like we literally laughed and we had one show in san francisco i believe it was at the warfield with the special beat and it was the only time I ever got booed off the stage. And I tell people this story because I, it was so, it was actually quite empowering right. because once you've gone through something like that, you, you there's nothing, anything. nothing right. worse could really happen. And so we were at, and my, it was in San Francisco. My family is from Northern California. So okay. a lot of my family was there. My mother was there yeah. in the audience, my sisters, everyone. And these people started yelling sex sales, you know, cause we were there yeah. in our little skirts, singing right. our happy songs, which we were happy. Like people, people want to think we're fake. We weren't, we were like, yeah. that was us, you know? And so we were up there doing our thing and people started screaming and yelling sex sales and throw, and they started throwing stuff onto right. the stage. Right. And um, my mom was out there. I found out later and she was yelling at people. That's my daughter and pushing <laughs> people. And right. my family was out there fighting with the audience. And finally, my manager, all I remember yeah. is our band manager, Chris, coming up and going, get off the stage now. And I'm like laughing yeah. because that kind of energy focused at you it still felt really empowering. It was kind of like, well, I'm up here and you're down there. Yeah. And so it, I just, we just were like, oh my God, we were laughing right. and then we got dragged off the stage. And, and the, 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 it's funny that that energy from the crowd coming at you was still like a huge adrenaline rush, right. you know, and we knew it wasn't because we were, a bad band or anything yeah. we were just not it wasn't the audience you know that really liked us and, and then when we did a show with squeeze i remember this was back when guys didn't shave their head all the time right. and there were like a row of skinheads in the front we you know we're like oh yeah skin in the front oh no oh no they were into it more than anyone right. <laughs> we got out there they yeah jumping around and so I, my, my thing, and especially now, um, when I perform, it's, it's just a big giant party for everyone. And I want everyone to just have a great time. And I'm trying to make everyone forget their problems. Yeah. That's really my job as a singer to right. make everybody out there forget their problems. And so most of the time, even when you had people that were skeptical, they would, they would get drawn in, yeah. you know? Except right. for the couple of times I told you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, any reaction is better than no reaction at all. You it's know, rather true. than just standing it is. there, you know, or sitting with you, you know. It was hands. quite exciting. And I and yeah. I tell people that story. I'm a vocal teacher. So okay. I tell people that story. You know, I deal a lot yeah. with people who have anxiety about performing and stuff okay. like that. And right. it really, once you get through that, you're like, oh, pfft. I yeah. could go do anything now, you know, fall right. down on stage, yeah. whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, as a teacher, let's, let's, let's go there for a second. Um, can have any of your students know your background or before like coming to you or do you tell them, well, I was in this band, this and that, or do people discover your you know past, so to speak? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I listed in, in, uh, 
you know, in my, in my bio sort of there and stuff. I mean, it's definitely a selling point because otherwise who am I, you know, I've had a record deal. I've been performing for many, many years. (laughs) (laughs) And so the experience is what they're looking for. You know, they want someone who's, you know, that, that, especially where I'm at now, it's kind of a small town. So in LA, you know, everybody and their brother has had a record deal, deal. you know, but which was where I lived before Los Angeles, but out here in Lake Arrowhead, it's a very small town. And that kind of just that small amount of success is, is something that people will, Oh, they're, they're interested, you know, they're kind of starved for, uh, for entertainment as well and things like that. So I've had a, you know, that's one of the reasons that I, I, I actually want to start a music school out here in Lake Arrowhead. Okay. I think that they could really use one. They have a lot of great retired musicians out here right. that could teach and a lot of people looking for that. Yeah. Especially now with the technology, you can do some of this stuff virtually. Oh sure yeah. I that, do like you know, in person and I have a remote student that lives in Phoenix. Right. And um, yeah, it's, it's great. And I teach, I taught for school of rock for five okay. years before I started teaching on my own and trying to start my own uh, teaching business. Um, And I learned a lot from there. And I am not your typical teacher. I teach you how to survive in the music industry. You know, it's it's not, you know, I teach you, I'll teach you how to cheat. I'll teach you how to, if you didn't get a chance to warm up your voice, I'm going to teach you how to sing and warm up your voice during a song. You know, I'm going to teach you how to nail an audition you know, things like that, you know, yeah. real practical. I like practical right. application. Yeah. I'm not no, going to give you 50 exercises that you right. don't understand, you know? Right. No, that, that's important because I mean, just having the talent is, you know, maybe a quarter of, of the, you know, the process, you know, all the stuff you mentioned, you know, yeah. you have to know, but like, how, how did the band, you know, get signed to IRS? I mean, you know, Miles Copeland, brother of Stewart, and, you know, he had his own fantastic career but how did you you know you guys get signed to the label well that's a great story actually we um we had we were playing around town and we had this gig in in hollywood at this club called the natural fudge factory and it was the biggest dive we walked in there and we were girls so and we were girly girls so we weren't we weren't these hardcore girls like a lot of Bands are really hardcore, tough yeah. kind of chicks. We were not like that. And we walked in and we were like, oh, ooh. you know, it was all dirty. And there was like right. holes in the middle. Yeah. And, and we were, and we almost left. And we were like, mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't, but we considered yeah. it. We were like, guys, let's just go. We don't really want it. It was out in this crappy part of Hollywood. Yeah. We were like, oh my God. And so we decided to stay and do the show. And our friend, Michael Gurley, who was in Dada, and uh, he was, uh, he was, uh, he helped us. He co-wrote some of the songs with us and helped us spruce up some of our songs and stuff. A good friend of Robin's and a friend of all of ours as well. He brought uh, Chris Lamson down, who was a band manager who worked for Miles Copeland. He used to manage the Bengals. He managed um, Wall of Voodoo and uh, Lords of the New Church. Um, He was like the tour manager for that. So he brought Chris down to that show. And Chris liked the band, thought we were great. And so 
the next show we did, which was again at the Natural Fudge Factory, right. Miles Copeland and Jay Boberg, who was the president, Miles was the owner, they came to the Natural Fudge Factory, <laughs> that little right. guy, and they <laughs> saw our show. And they were helping us move our gear afterwards and stuff. Right. <laughs> We had a way with that. We had yeah. so many guys helping us with our gear. I'm sure. It was so awesome to see like Miles Copeland and Jay yeah. Boberg like pulling our amps out for us, you know? Right. And so, and so after that, we got offered yeah. this deal and we were like, hallelujah, you yeah. know, here <laughs> we go. It was awesome. It was amazing. Right. Yeah. Because at that point, you guys just had your own EP out, right? Party time? No. No, that was that. The, 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 the EP was released. The label wanted us to have a history. So okay. it was actually a little bit of, uh, was the label's idea for us to release the EP. Okay. So they had us release the EP first. Um, and they took, you know, some of our, yeah. our most favorite songs. Right. And, um, and it, because they, they thought it would be good for the band. And I guess it was because mm. it, <laughs> it yeah. worked. Right. Because you thought that we had the EP out and we got yeah. signed. And that was the idea. That was okay. what they were, they were trying to put across, although right. we really had not. <laughs> right. Okay. Clever. Clever. Yeah. yeah. It worked. They knew what they were doing. Yeah, exactly. Because when Hyrus Records had all these underground bands on them, which was right. a cool label. I love that label. They yeah. had all these kind of really cool, you know, kind of cult bands and stuff. So they wanted us to kind of have that same yeah. sort of thing. Right. Once you were signed, how much like uh, input did they have in the recording of your album? They basically wanted approval. They didn't have a lot of input. Right. They, they made suggestions, you know, they suggested producers for us. And we ultimately yeah. chose Tony Peluso, okay. who um, used to play guitar in The Carpenters. Um, he died a few years back. But um, he, uh, so yeah, they, they really just wanted approval. They pretty much let mm. us go. They right. really, they were great with us. Our record deal was very small. It was, I don't something like fifty thousand dollars or something they okay. ended up putting in almost a million in our uh, they really believed in the band they thought that yeah. we were going to be their big pop breakthrough right and i was really hoping that was going to happen yeah <laughs> right <laughs> yeah you, you know these guys you know had some cool videos and you made the rounds on like the tv shows um oh, i even yeah. thought like yeah you guys would have hit like say Beverly Hills on 0210 because I know they had guest bands. If you guys would have made that, I think it really would have helped. I band. think if we had stuck together, yeah. If we had not, you know, broken up, right. uh, we probably could have stuck it through, you know. And you know, when you're in it, like I really because I came from a background that was just a little bit harder music and I hung out with musicians mm. who played harder stuff. I, I also kind of dissed it a little, I wasn't sure. I was like, it's so mm. pop though, right. but it's yeah. so sweet, but it's so happy. You know, I yeah. like, I like minor chords. I like dark yeah. music. I brought in Cool Yule for, okay. and I wrote that song. That That's my favorite song is our Christmas song, Cool Yule. Oh, it's yeah. it played every year and it got listed in Poor Man's Top 100 Christmas songs. So I was right. really proud of that.
but I brought it in and it had some minor chords in it. It was kind of dark. And I brought it to the band and Robin and Michael Gurley changed some of those chords to major chords to make it happier. And it turned out great. I love the song, but I, you know, I kind of was, you know, felt a little insecure about the fact that it was just so pop and, you know, and people considered us kind of fluff. Now I look back at it and I'm like, that was some really great stuff. We really had something great going. We should have had more confidence. We should have stuck with it, you know? And that's one thing I tell a lot of my students too, is, you know, stick with the band. We also had, you know, when Robin left the band, we lost our direction. Robin held the direction of the band together. She was very opinionated and she, she was the one who took my song and added major chords to it. So it would sound like the rebel pebbles, you know? And, um, and then we had some internal difficulties with her. And so she left and then the band got diluted. That's when we started bringing in new members and they started changing the style. So uh, my advice to bands is when you, you know, when you find a combination that works, you do everything yeah. you can to keep that together. Right. Because changing out a band mem- member will, will completely yeah. change up the vibe of the band. You know, was there, yeah. Was there ever like a, a time where you thought maybe we should reach out to her to bring her back or was it too? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, um, we got, we, we've done some reunion shows with with Robin. So we went through all this crazy stuff. She sued us and made us change the name of the band. And she had, she took part of our next record, you know, all this stuff. We went through this whole big thing. And then a few years later, we all became friends friend again. Yeah. And when we did the reunion shows, we were like, well, Robin's the bass player. We, you know, we can't do the reunion shows without Robin. Right. So, yeah, we've all, we all became friends again after that. You know, the time, yeah. time heals everything. We were silly. We were silly girls, you yeah. know. <laughs> right. <laughs> At the risk of sounding un-PC. No, of course. People, I will say. I know. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I come from a different time. Like no, I, I trust me. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah. So talk to me about the prison gig. Okay. The prison gigs were pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, That was, of course, the idea of the record label. They wanted to give us another, yet another angle to play up. Right. And so we played Chino Prison out here. And in Europe, we played Holloway Prison. Okay. Um, I really remember that, first of all, Holloway Prison compared to Chino was like going to, you know, the mall i mean you know tino is so like everything you know but at holloway they just let you right in with your (laughs) gear and your equipment you could add anything you know um but the chino prison gig i remember more um we we because the first day we were there there was a lockdown we couldn't play we had to cancel and reschedule and come back the next day they had a lockdown because um somebody had stolen a pair of scissors so so um we we could not take in any i think we couldn't take in jewelry we couldn't take it you know we couldn't take in our makeup we we were like we had to be really restricted on what we took in and then when we finally got in there they had to walk us across the courtyard to the stage and they had people all around us and it was how it was these were women's prisons okay so they were um women you know coming around and cat calling us <laughs> and, yeah. look at that short skirts and we were all oh my God, oh my God. 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And so we went out there and we did the show and we played Jailhouse Rock. And mm-hmm. we weren't sure how that was going to go down, you know? Yeah. People in jail. Oh, man, brought the house mm-hmm. down. They right. loved it, loved it so much. And we were, um, we were, there was some girl helping us with our gear, little sweet yeah. wand thing, you know, yeah. and her name was Lynette. And later on, our manager came up and goes, you know who that girl is? And I was like, no, Squeaky hmm. From. That was Squeaky From. Do you know who Squeaky From is? No. She was one of the Manson girls. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> her real name is Lynette wow. and so yeah she was yeah so that was I mean I don't know if everybody knows Charles Manson you know right. the murderers Manson all Bandit, that right, yeah. and he was one of his followers so that yeah. was pretty cool yeah that speaking from you know right <laughs> wow <laughs> at least you know like no matter how good or bad the performance was they're not going to leave the audience so no <laughs> no worry about that. active audience <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah and i'm sure you know they would have loved anything you know they're right, exactly. band to come play for them i mean how yeah. i'm sure they didn't get that very much right i'm sure yeah mm-hmm. now um let's talk about some of the other stuff you, you worked on you know because different genres of music and you know your voice is great no matter what genre you do but talk about some of like, the jazz stuff you've done yeah, it's a solo album that was, was really good. And I saw some of the videos on YouTube and just like, it's a you know change of pace from the pebbles and it's, it really works. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, um, I grew up with a theatrical background. So I grew up singing Broadway and also right. listening to Motown. My mom was a huge Motown fan. So right. Smokey Robinson, Supremes, all that. Yeah. Um, that was, that was really my background. Rocky, oops, hang on, hang on. <laughs> it works. Okay. So, <laughs> so um, I was, um, yeah. So, so after the pebbles, I started venturing into some different things and I put together a jazz standard trio Um uh, called the Blue Meow, and I just learned a whole bunch of standards and went with yeah. a piano player. And sometimes we do stand-up bass, and I just did the torch songs. I love singing slow songs. I, I like singing all styles of music, right. and so, so, um, so I went. Uh, so, so I um, I joined. Uh, I, I started just kind of do, doing different stuff. Uh, singing a little blues rock as well. I do a I do a lot of like Janis Joplin, Amy Winehouse mm-hmm. kind of stuff. A lot of raspy kind of screamy stuff. Right. And then uh, <laughs> and then the jazz thing. And and the other thing about the jazz thing is you know after a while, I felt a little old for rock and roll. Jazz. I'm young for jazz. Yeah, you right. know, <laughs> it's like and that's how I felt. It just felt a little more age appropriate for me. Um, and, and I really enjoy it. And then when I started doing the jazz, um, after the pebbles, Mm -hmm. that's where I learned how to ad lib songs because jazz is like that. You just put your own style on things. Rock and roll is actually Mm -hmm. very structured more, more so than Mm -hmm. jazz or blues, 
you know? And so when I was doing the pebbles, I was in a very structured pop mode and I didn't ad lib a lot. I didn't do a lot of that stuff. So when I went and did the jazz and then I came back to the rock, then I was able to do a lot more. It really taught me a lot more. And same with blues. After when I was in Seattle, I joined a blues band and I had to learn all these guy blues songs, you know, singing yeah. Eric Clapton and, you know, and uh, and so and so it it I it taught me how to just really pull um, everything mm -hmm. out of my voice that I could and really let loose on the arrangements and stuff. And right. it's, it's made me better at singing pop music, really. Yeah, right. So if someone comes to see you now, are you playing a whole like potpourri of different type of music or what's like the main uh, music you play when someone sees you play? Well, I am currently putting together a blues rock band because okay. that's what I really like. I like the high energy, um, really hard singing, like Beth Hart kind of stuff. Um, and it really utilizes your voice. But I'm also in a jazz band. I'm in a okay. jazz band called Rachel Murray and the Groove Cats. Okay. And, um, and we are playing a show on November 20th. And that band is more, we have a sax player. And that band is more of a jazz sort of R&B fusion. So we're doing songs by Chaka Khan, okay. Aretha Franklin, James Brown, Charday. Right. It's a really high energy, Carlos Santana, really high energy, fun, high energy dance thing. I did a similar thing with another band, uh, Jazz City, a few months ago at the center stage here in Lake Arrowhead, which is a really nice, the probably the best venue out here. And it was just fantastic, super high energy, you know, so I'm kind of just, you know, I can do a lot of style. So yeah, this is more like a jazz R&B soul right. groove fusion. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever come to the East Coast or is it mainly out there you stay? I haven't played out in the East Coast. Um, so, I mean, but I'm not opposed to it. Right, of course. If someone wanted to pay me to some, fly some across calling. the country and go do a show, I'd do it. Of course. No, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hopefully now you know things opening up a, a little more. You know it'd be you know great to see some some live live shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? I believe I was in a mall. Okay. I heard my song being played. Uh, oh, well, there's a few times, and I don't remember the first time, but I do remember being on Casey Kasem's Top Forty. Okay. And so I got that somewhere on a cassette that I probably right. lost, but because yeah. that you had to set up your cassette and set it next of to course. the, the yeah. radio, radio right? player. Yeah. So and yep. at number forty, yeah. a rebel pebble. So it was right. in Casey Case's voice. That was super yeah. super cool. Um, and every once in a while, I will hear my song. A few years ago, I heard a song, and, and I was in the grocery store. Okay. I heard it, and I was by myself, and I was yeah. like. That's me. That's me. That's yeah. Me. Who do I tell? I couldn't tell anyone. Of course. Yeah, I think <laughs> you're nuts, yeah, right? <laughs> I, I hear it a lot in, in stuff like that. Malls, grocery yeah. stores. Occasionally I'll still hear it. You right. know, I'll hear them. And it's pretty exciting. I gotta say. It's very exciting.
I'll, yeah, because I'll, I'll hear it occasionally on Sirius XM. They'll play it like, on the night. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind know. of station. Yeah. That they play it on. And another, a couple of friends of mine have radio shows. Okay. And they'll pull out Rebel Pebble songs. Right. You know, I have a friend who's a drummer and he it was in a band I used to play with a long time ago called Betty Boop and the Beat. It was the first okay. band, I, one of the first bands I joined, really popular band in L.A. But he's a, he's a drummer. And so he's really into drums and he has a radio show mm. in Hawaii. Okay. And occasionally he plays Elephant's Revenge. He loves oh, that. Nice. Yeah. He's also an animal activist. So, okay. and, so right. he loves that song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I said before, you know, it's, it's a great song and that album is great. But uh, so Rachel, talk to me about your where people can find you or hire you for, uh, you know, your vocal teachings. Well, fantastic. I'm glad you asked. Um, I have a website, rachelmurrayvoice.com, or you can go on Facebook and you can just look up Rachel Murray Voice. I have a Facebook page there as well. And you can contact me through any of that. Um, and then, um, or, or you can also go to Rachel Murray Music on Facebook, and there you can see a list of, you know, the Rebel Pebble stuff, all the bands I've been in, my bio, all that. And I do teach in person, but I also teach remotely as well. Um, so that'd be great if someone wanted to look me up for that. I really teach, uh, you know, a lot of vocals and performance. Like I said before, you know, technology is great. So it's able to, you know, teach, you know, people, you know, across the country, throughout the world, rather than just in person, someone. Yeah, in absolutely. So, it's been yeah. great. Yeah. It's but actually, fantastic. I have a, an, another question. Uh, now, rec there's not, not too many record companies anymore. Maybe it's like three or four. But with all of, like the technology and like social media and like YouTube, you can just post your own music, uh, you know, on on there. So what do you how do you tell your students like to proceed to seek out the record deal to put stuff you know independently on youtube because i would imagine that's how record companies would find people now you know basically you the the artists now do all the hard work whereas before it would you know years ago the art the, the uh, label would do everything Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot different now. Right. And I'm still trying to gauge exactly how it is. Um, but yeah, back in the day, we got our record deal, and then they just did everything for us. Yeah. And so, but it's not like that anymore. So I tell my students to get as if they're into it to get as savvy as they can on social media. I'm a big I do a lot of social media promotion. Um, I was a booker for a while and an entertainment director, and I promoted all of our shows. I got events off of the ground. Um, so to get really good at, at promoting yourself on social media, start your band pages, and yeah, put your stuff up on YouTube, you really kind of have to do a lot of it yourself, you know, so so it, it's, I don't think it's the same before as just go get that record deal. Right. You know, you used to have to go out and play shows and hope someone would show up. Yeah. And it's, it's really not like that anymore. You need to get yourself on social media as much as possible. So put your videos up on YouTube, share them on Facebook, share them on, you know, I'm older, so I say Facebook, but there's Instagram, yeah. there's right. all kinds of other yeah. ones. And I even invest in um, advertising as well on, on some of those social media platforms. It's really helpful. Um, I also, I came to this small town. It's, it's, it's harder in a bigger city 
to get notice. In the smaller towns, it's a little bit easier. Right. Um, I came to this small town having had to promote my bands in LA. And so I got on social media, I printed flyers, I put them all around town. No one was doing that. Yeah. And it was huge. The first show I had, the fire marshal showed up. It was oh, wow. like 200 people showed up to this venue yeah. that held like 150. Right. So, and it was because I just applied all of that big yeah. town social media stuff, and yeah. and you know uh, they call it, I guess, guerrilla advertising, where you just ground advertising. Where you yeah. go, I would go to local places and talk to people, put their flyers up in the little co- coffee houses, post offices, yeah. thrift stores, wherever they allow you to put flyers, and talk to people, and that. It made a huge difference. Nobody, nobody takes the time to do that, especially no. with social media. So they just do it on social media. And the combination of both, because not everyone's on social media, no, of course. Yeah. is really, really helpful. And like I said, a lot of people are kind of lazy about it nowadays. They just throw their stuff on the internet and they think it's just going to take off. Yeah. And well, no, you need to kind of do things to make those things take off, you know, right. to, to, you, you need to get people's attention, you know, and, and you need to, you need to really really just flood them flood people with your band information and you know i mean you don't want to overkill it right but people's attention spans are short and it, people will see an ad five times before it registers to them yeah. so you know regular posting and advertising and really just promoting self-promotion you really got to do it if you want, if that's what you want. Right. You have to be your biggest fan. Yeah, you do. And it's, and yeah. it's just even more important nowadays um, than it used to be. When I was in uh, my old band, Betty Boop and the Beat, they were really popular because this was before social media. Right. They used to print 20, I think 25 to 50,000 tickets. Wow. And the tickets had these little legs on them. They were really yeah. signature looking and they would litter the town and they would go to the venues. This is another thing. They would yeah. go to the venues uh, like a month out from their right. show every Friday and Saturday and put the little flyers on the tables yeah. and go talk to people. Right. So again, that's yeah. promote self-promotion. You really got to get good at it. I used to be kind of shy and embarrassed yeah. about it, right. but you, you know, you just can't. You just can't. If you don't have enough confidence in yourself, nobody else's. Agreed. Right. And then now it seems like the face-to-face interactions are kind of going by the way. Well, besides COVID, but just with social media, it's easier just to type and text someone and actually speak to them face-to-face. So you kind of lose that. So if you have that ability, you kind of have an advantage over a lot of people. Yeah, the personal touch. And I also never miss an opportunity to tell a friend I'm playing somewhere. You know, I run into a friend. What are you doing? Well, I'm playing a show over here. I mean, it just comes naturally for me. It's not like, you know, I'm thinking I'll promote your show. But, you know, those just talking to people. I'm one of those people like I will just talk to a stranger. Next thing you know, I'm showing them my band video and they're coming to my show. Right. 
So, you know, it's, it's, it's important and it's genuine and they come in because they like you, you know, and yes. they're, I mean, and then they become a, a fan of the band of after, course. but, um, yeah. but, you know, talking to people and, and, uh, and uh, just letting people know what you're doing. You know, don't be quiet about it. A lot of musicians are very shy. A lot of musicians are really quiet and they're kind of angst ridden and they yeah. think their music is just going to speak for themselves, right. you know, because they're so amazing, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> I didn't wait for that to happen. No, no. They, they might be amazing, but they got to find a way to make sure people find it, you know. Exactly. Yeah, right. there's a lot out there and a lot of competition. And a special thanks to Rachel for joining me today. Like she said, go check out her pages on Facebook, Rachel Murray and the Rachel Murray Voice. And as far as Rubble Pebbles, go check out their album, Girls Talk. It's on the streaming sites. It's a really, really good album. As well as her other bands, which are listed on Facebook. And if you have a guest suggestion, hit me up on Twitter at the first Noel 19 Or like the page, Living My Youth, on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, Amazon Music, wherever you can find a podcast. A new episode comes in every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.